testing, we are good. One thing I forgot to mention earlier is happy St. Patrick's Day to everybody. I wore uh, green, this is, I think my only green shirt that I have. <laughs> so I see several of you are wearing uh, green. Uh, Patrick, of course, was a, a very strong proponent of the church back in the Middle Ages in the nation of Ireland, and he's got quite a story. I'm not here to talk about it today, but uh, that's what St. Patrick's Day is all about. Well, we've come to the main message now, and uh, let's start with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving us the wonderful understanding of your word. We know that this comes through the Holy Spirit, whom you sent to us on Pentecost, and he now powerfully is still involved and active in the church today. And we thank you for the understanding that comes through him. And Father, teach us the lesson that you'll have us to learn today. Change us. That's what we've come here for, Lord, to be changed. And we pray that you do that to us individually today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Some of my uh, fellow pastors and I in uh, Canfield on Friday got into a real fine discussion uh, of all things on the subject of healing. We were talking about healing and uh, asking a lot of questions to each other about it and bringing up God's Word in different passages. And uh, I want to start off by turning to Matthew chapter 10 because healing is, is a powerful uh, tool that God uses in the church today, in the whole world for that matter. I mean, He, he is the one with the ability to heal. And uh, he can use that tool and that uh, technique in whatever way he sees fit. He is uh, sovereign, and he calls the shots as far as that's concerned. But this scripture here in Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, when Jesus sent the 12 out, it says, He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and the authority to heal every disease and sickness. So healing has always been and it always will be a very important part of the church. I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you and myself. We all need to be healed in some way or other, at some time or another. As we go through our Christian life, we know that we get physical problems that we have to deal with. And uh, when we're concerned about it, especially when we're in pain, we cry out to God for healing. We ask him to heal us. But it's not just physical ailments. There are mental uh, shortcomings. There are psychological. There are emotional issues that we deal with in our lives uh, starting day one and continuing on through all of our life. And we need God. We uh, call out to him on frequent occasions asking for his help and for his healing. But you know what? From time to time, there seems to be instances where God does not heal, at least not right away. And I don't know about you, but I've wondered from time to time why that might be and what is God's purpose. We know that his purpose is far greater than ours. And this week and next week, we're going to have kind of a two-week series on the subject that I like to call Obstacles to Healing. Obstacles to Healing. I'm going to start off by reading a uh, passage that uh, a minister wrote about a particular incident that he uh, uh, had to do with. Uh, he says, I had just finished giving a talk on healing at a Catholic high school. 
As students and faculty were filing back to their classrooms, a few lingered to introduce themselves or ask questions. One, a science teacher, whom I'll call Anna, came up and asked for prayer. She explained that she had been out sick the day before and was still coughing and running a fever. She felt exhausted and was unable to take a deep breath. I think it might be pneumonia, she whispered, not wanting anyone to know she had come back to work that sick. I immediately agreed to pray over her and asked a couple of other teachers standing nearby to pray with me. After a few minutes, we finished praying, but one of the other teachers, who knew Anna better than the others, leaned over and gently asked, how about we pray for that other condition, too? Anna hesitated for a moment before replying, okay. She explained that for the past two years, she had been hemorrhaging, like the woman in the gospel. She took iron constantly to replenish the blood loss. Surgery had failed to resolve the problem, and she was on high doses of a medication that carried severe side effects, but lower doses had not stopped the heavy bleeding. Because of the side effects and the risk of stroke, she had tried several times to stop the medication. Once within 12 hours of a missed dose, she had started hemorrhaging so badly it took a hospitalization and several weeks of a large increase in the dosage to get it back under control. As we began to pray again, I felt led to ask, Anna, can you think of anything painful or traumatic that happened around the time this started two years ago? She thought for a few seconds, then said, yeah, it was right around then that my husband stopped going to church. I think there might be a connection. Your husband abandoned his spiritual leadership in the family, which must have been painful, and then this condition began. Have you forgiven him? Well, I've tried, she said, a little resentment showing in her voice. I explained that it is important to understand what forgiveness is and what it is not. To forgive someone does not mean saying, it's okay, it's fine, no big deal, or they meant well. To forgive is not to minimize or deny an offense. Sometimes it's not okay, and sometimes the person did not mean well. But to forgive means... I let go of my right to hold the offense against him or her. It is between that person and God. I choose to let God deal with it, since God alone judges with perfect wisdom, justice, and mercy. I also explain that to forgive is to make a decision of the will. Even though our emotions will not necessarily fall into line right away, we cannot always control our emotions, but we can make an act of the will, choosing to forgive with the help of God's grace. We may need to renew that decision again and again, especially when it involves the people we are closest to. Anna willingly agreed to say a prayer aloud, expressing forgiveness of her husband. We prayed for a few more minutes, asking Jesus to bless and completely heal her, as he had healed the woman in the gospel. Later that year, I heard from Anna again. I didn't have any bleeding for about six months after the healing, and then I started cycling normally. It is wonderful, and my health is a reminder to me to praise God and be thankful. My husband has not returned to church, but our marriage is much better. We are going to a concert date tonight. That example kind of brings up the uh, incident, or I think the truth, from the Bible, as we'll see in, in just a few moments, that there can be 
obstacles to healing. And since we're going through the Lenten season, we're, we're kind of taking a, a personal inventory of our spiritual life. And I think that that's something that we all need to consider. Are there any instances in our lives, in our heart of hearts, in our mind, in our soul, where we have not forgiven somebody that we should forgive? And all the different uh, situations are, have their own individual quirks and own individual story. But I wonder sometimes if that may be one of the obstacles to being healed. You know, we ask God to heal us, and, you know, time passes, and we ask Him some more, and we read some scriptures on it, but does God want us really to search our heart at a time like that? He certainly has our attention. You know, that's one of the reasons we do get sick from time to time. God allows it to happen because He wants to draw us closer to Him. And for whatever the, the reasons are for the particular uh, physical or mental or psychological uh, situation we're dealing with, there's always a purpose God's working behind the scenes. And sometimes He wants us not only to draw closer to Him, but take a real hard look at ourselves, at our own lives, to see what still might need to be changed. Let's turn to Mark chapter 11 and verse 25. Mark chapter 11 and verse 25. We're all familiar with this passage here, but some instruction that God gives to his people. Mark 11 verse 25. When you stand praying, perhaps in this case asking for healing or asking God for something in particular, when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him, so that your Father in heaven may forgive you for your sins. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. When uh, you're holding a grudge against somebody, something happened maybe between you and your mate or you and another church member or you and uh, maybe somebody at work, and God, at particular times, kind of touches a nerve and brings that to your attention. And you start thinking, well, wait a minute. Do I have a right to ask God for this? Because after all, I've been in kind of a bad attitude lately. And is God really going to answer this prayer? And maybe in some cases the answer is no. God may not be ready to answer that prayer because he wants you to tend to your personal business first. You need to go and make amends. You need to apologize. You need to forgive that person that you hold something against. So unforgiveness, when we don't truly forgive somebody, unforgiveness uh, closes our heart to God's grace. I want you to think about that. We, we love God's grace. We want more of God's grace all the time. But an attitude of unforgiveness closes our heart to God's grace. Choosing to forgive, on the other hand, can release God's grace in a powerful way. So God is all about forgiveness. Don't forget, he has forgiven all of us for all of our sins, uh, past, present, and future. And this is one of the most powerful examples as to how we're to follow in God's footsteps as a Christian. We are to forgive, we're to be quick to forgive. 
And as uh, that minister said, sometimes emotions aren't ready right away, but at least we can make a decision of the will. That God, you know, this happened, my nerves are still kind of raw as to what this other person did to, to me, or to what my company did to me, or to what, you know, what that store did to me, I feel like I was taken advantage of. I'm still emotional about it, but I want to make a decision right now, God. As I come before you, I forgive those people. I forgive that person for what they did to me. And I know that you've forgiven me for all the things that I've done to others. So unforgiveness can be a stumbling block to being healed, to having your prayers answered, and it's something that we all have to be very sincere and honest about with ourselves. Have we all held something against another person at some time in our lives? I know that I have. I know that I have. And God's been trying to teach me to be more forgiving. I'll give you another example of something that just, just happened yesterday. <laughs> Why do all of my sermon examples come from my experience at Ruley Brothers? I don't know why. I haven't been to Ruley Brothers in several weeks, and I went there yesterday. And you know, yesterday was a very windy day. So I'm driving up into the parking lot. I find a parking space, okay? I park my car there. Now, I don't know, there was a song on that I wanted to listen to it to the end. So I'm sitting in my car, you know, with the engine running, listening to the radio, and a car pulls up beside me on this side, pulls into the parking space. And, you know, I'm involved in this song, and I'm listening to it. And all of a sudden, this person gets out of their car, and bam, their car door hits the side of my car. I thought, wow. And, and I look around, and here this lady, and there was a guy in the passenger seat. They get out of the car and just start walking into the store. Now, that, that rubs me the wrong way when that happens. And uh, so I get out of the car, and I walk around the car, and I go to right where the, her door hit me. And I'm, you know, kind of rubbing the salt off my car to see, you know, what kind of damage it did. So I'm looking at it in a real bad attitude because this woman just dinged my car really hard and walked away. So as I'm looking, <laughs> rubbing the, the, my fender there, all of a sudden I hear her say, oh, did I hit your car? You know, lady, you hit my car so hard it almost knocked my teeth loose, you know. <laughs> so she comes back and I'm rubbing my car and she goes, did I leave a mark? And I'm thinking, yes, you did. And she says, well, I'm sorry. Well, I was glad to hear that. At, at least she turned around and came back, realized she damaged my car, you know. So I said, well, you know, it was just the wind blowing. The wind's blowing really hard. I guess she opened her door, the wind kind of took it out of her hand, and there it went. So I made my way into the store, and I will confess to you, in not the greatest of attitudes, but, you know, as, as I thought of it, at least this woman came back and apologized. She didn't offer to, you know, do anything to fix it or to, to help it, which I wouldn't have taken anyway because it's just a ding. So here's Pastor John in a bad attitude, <laughs> Ruley Brothers, okay? And it, it reminded me, Mary and I, years ago, when we used to attend a different church, uh, WCG, up in a, in a different area, there was an elder in the church who was a real wise guy, and he had a real biting sense of humor, and he always tried to jab people, you know. And I rem remember to this day, I'll never forget this. 
somebody pulled into the parking lot at church, which was a high school at the time, in a really nice car. And this elder guy, he, he was not always real careful. And he got out of his car, and I guess he was book, had books and Bible and everything, and he kind of pushed his door, and he pushed his door into the next car's car door and left a little kind of impression there, or a little dent. And the owner of the car got real upset with him, and this elder said to him, as he, the kind of thing he always says, oh, I'm sorry I bumped your idol. Your idol, you know, like something you worship. And he's implying that this guy worships this car, and just, a, just like somebody jabbing you with a knife. But that's the way this guy was. He had this kind of sense of humor, you know, and he wouldn't mind saying things like that to kind of stick a knife in you and jab it around a little bit. And I thought, you know, here I am getting upset in kind of the same way. You know, it's a car. Nobody got hurt. The woman didn't do it on purpose. Uh, you know, it was an accident. And she came back and she said, I'm sorry. So here's Pastor John in his bad attitude, you know, confessing his sin to God. So it can happen to anybody. It can happen to anybody. So uh, forgiveness. Maybe the woman didn't forgive as, as piously as I thought she should. But then again, when I've done things in my life, have I really apologized as sincerely as I should have? I'm sure at times I haven't. So it's a lesson that we all learned. But being f forgiving is very important. And finally, I was able to go to bed later uh, last night saying, God, I forgive this woman <laughs> for, for bumping my car, as if that's really an important thing after all. Come on. So anyway, uh, choosing to forgive can release God's grace in a powerful way in your life. And like I said, I, I think that that's one of the reasons why maybe our prayer isn't answered in the way we would hope, and maybe uh, even at times we're not healed in the way we would like to be. God is teaching us a more important lesson. Look at your life. Look at your conscience. Look at some of the thoughts that you've been having. Be more like me, God says. Be quick to forgive. I want to turn to Matthew chapter 18 and spend some time on this story here. The story of the unforgiving servant. Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 23. Because I think this is really a crucial uh, parable that Jesus taught that we can certainly learn from. Matthew 18, beginning in verse 23. He says, Therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, for the sake of the story, this is really an exaggeration to, you know, get the point across to us as to how much, in this case, the uh, king represents God. The servant represents any of us, okay? Uh, 10,000 talents is the equivalent today of 10, of four rather, four billion dollars. 10,000 talents equals four billion dollars today. B, billion with a B. A, a just unbelievably ridiculous amount. So the master or the king represents God, and the debt symbolizes the measure of how our sins have been have offended God. Let's put it that way. 
The king represents God, the servant represents us, and the amount of money, $4 billion or 10,000 talents, symbolizes the measure of how our sins have offended God. So it goes on in the story. Verse 25, since he was not able to pay, the master, the king, ordered that he and his wife and his children and all he had be sold to repay the debt. Now the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Now, it's ridiculous to even think that he could pay back that much money. But yet he says this, I'll pay it back. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. So this represents our relationship with God. Because of our sins in our life, we owe, if you want to put it in those terms, God, $4 billion. That's how much our sins have offended God. And once we realize the enormity of the debt, we see how preposterous that this servant's claim that he could possibly someday repay it. And despite his crazy promise to do something he never would be able to do, the master, filled with compassion, freely writes off the entire debt. This is what God in his mercy has done for us. And that's how much our sins have offended him. Four billion dollars worth. Something we could never pay back. Throughout all of our lives, we could never even consider paying him back. But this man says, don't worry, I'm going to repay it. I'm going to repay it. Verse 26, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I'll pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But then, verse 28, when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii which is equivalent to a hundred days' wages, so several thousand dollars. So he owes him much less because of what he's done to him. He's offended this man, so to speak. So instead of forgiving him, he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him in a similar way, be patient with me, I will pay you back. Now, this man could conceivably pay him back because it's only a few thousand dollars compared with four billion dollars. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? So the lesson here for us, of course, is God has forgiven us so much by comparison to what anybody else may owe us based on their offense toward us or their sin toward us. Verse 34, in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. So there's a lesson to be learned here that I learned just recently that I had never considered before. 
You know, there is no record here saying that this first servant who owed the $4 billion ever really accepted his master's offer to cancel the debt. You know, I searched this parable through several times, and I thought that I knew the story, but the fact is that this man just continued to offer to repay, even though there's no way that he could ever repay $4 billion. He did not accept the master's offer to cancel the debt. He was determined to do his best to pay it off. Now, why do I make a point of that? Well, we're talking here about people in their relationship to God. We know that the Father sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross. He did it. His work has been paid for the forgiveness of sins for the whole human race. Jesus doesn't have to do any more work to solve that problem that we were all in. And now that death of Jesus Christ on the cross is hanging there, available to anybody who chooses to come and accept it. To accept Jesus as their Savior, to accept God's grace, to have their sins forgiven by the blood of Christ. But here is a man, in spite of his master offering that, cleaning the slate for him, this man does not seem to accept it. He's determined that he's going to pay it back in his own way. He's going to get the job done. In other words, a, a person who refuses to receive God's grace, a person who refuses to acknowledge Jesus Christ as their Savior, through whose blood all their sins can be forgiven, he does not accept God's grace, so he does not know God's grace. It's only when you accept the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for your personal sins and you receive God's grace and God's gift in that way, it is only then that you truly come to understand grace. When you understand how much you have been forgiven, the Bible teaches us that then you should be quick to forgive others because they owe you much less than you owed God. So here is a man who does not accept Jesus Christ's sacrifice on the cross. He's determined that he's going to pay the master's debt back according to his own terms and in his own way. So therefore, you have a man who doesn't understand grace. And when faced with a situation, this man who owes him much less, he refuses to write it off. So... The reason we don't find much grace in the world is because there's a lot of people who have not accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they don't truly understand what forgiveness and grace is all about. We, who have had so much forgiven on each of our individual parts, should know everything there is to know about grace and should be willing and quick to forgive others because we understand how much God has forgiven us. And who are we to, on the one hand, receive God's manifold grace in our lives, but then refuse to hand it out to others and to forgive them? We're hypocrites. Who are we to accept God's grace on one hand and then refuse to give it out to others who have done so much less to us than we have done to God? So it's actually showing that this man does not truly understand grace. He's got his own ways of trying to please the master or please God. And the, the parable is telling us here that there's only one way to please God. 
This is what God asks of all of us, to receive the sacrifice of His Son, Jesus Christ, to receive forgiveness and grace, which we could earn no other way. So the key to this parable is realizing that the servant was unmerciful because he would not receive mercy for himself. He could not bring himself to accept such a uh, free gift from his master. Why? Because it was too humbling. He couldn't receive grace. He couldn't receive the $4 billion or he couldn't receive his debt written off by the father because what he would have to do is admit that he's a sinner and that he needs forgiveness. And that's where a lot of people stumble in the world today. You know, when you uh, maybe share the gospel with them and say, you know what, uh, Jesus Christ forgave all of my sins and he can forgive yours too, right away their reaction is, what do you mean? I'm not that bad of a person. You know, compared to this guy over there or that woman over there, I see myself as being pretty good after all. But we have to realize that we're all sinners. We're all sinners. We all need forgiveness. We all need uh, grace to take care of the problems that we've caused through our sins that we can't fix ourselves. So this man could not bring himself to accept this free gift from God or from his master because it was too humbling. Impossible as it was, he still wanted to pay back the debt somehow, so he needed every penny that he could get from his friend. That's why he wouldn't write off his debt. He never accepted the offer from his master, so he needed this money that his friend owed him to help pay back his master. He was trying to earn his salvation through his own works, you see. This is why he was so desperate to get back what his fellow servant owed him. This is how unforgiveness functions for us. We have a hard time receiving God's free gift of mercy, so we begrudge granting mercy to others. We hold on to being justified in our anger, being right, and keeping others in the wrong. But there's a high price to pay for such merciless, mercilessness. Because it said at the end of the parable here, you know, what happened to this guy? Well, it said in verse uh, 34, in his anger, the master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Now, I don't think God is purposely going to torture anybody, but this man, because of his lack of forgiveness for others, ends up torturing himself. He ends up torturing himself. You know how it is when you hold something against somebody? Somebody did something to you, and you don't want to forgive them, and you're going to hold it against them. You're going to have it hanging over their head at all times and remind them what a terrible person that they are. You know what? That tends to eat you up inside when you have that attitude. It really does. I think that it ends up causing a whole bunch of uh, health problems on our part. You know, when you live in anger and you live holding grudges against people, it's eventually going to wear on you to the point that you're really going to suffer. And what you're doing is you're torturing yourself. We hold on to being justified in our anger, being right, keeping others in the wrong, 
But like I said, it's a high price to pay for such mercilessness. The parable ends with the master delivering the wicked servant to the torturer or to the jailer until he should pay back all his debt. So those who hold on to grudges are subject to their own mental and psychological torture, and they risk the eternal pain of separation from God. They keep themselves imprisoned in a way that's worse than bonds. So we need to be on guard. We need to search ourselves continually and be quick to forgive others and not hold grudges. It could be blocking our prayers. It can be blocking our healing or whatever else we're asking from God. Before God grants that prayer or grants that desire, He wants us to take a personal inward look to make sure that our heart is right before God and we don't have anything that we need to forgive. Turn with me to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. This was David's approach, and I think that it should be our approach, especially this time of the year, but but really all through the year. We're in the Lenten season where we're talking about self-reflection. This is what David said in Psalm 139, beginning in verse 23. He says to God, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offense, offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. So today, you know, as we're about to partake in the communion service, let's ask God, in our heart of hearts, in our mind, is there anything that we're holding against anybody that we need to forgive? And I'm not talking about yesterday who banged their car door into yours, That's something I need to deal with. I'm talking about over the years now. You think of your family. Maybe you think of relationships that you used to have uh, with a person of the other sex. You think of your parents, your, your mom, your dad. You think of brothers and sisters. Is there anything that you're holding as far as a grudge is concerned against anybody? We need to forgive that. Because if we don't, it's blocking communication between ourselves and God. And some of the prayers that we're, we're praying and some of the, the desires that we present before God, he may not be ready to answer those things and bless us with the things we, we want or need until we deal with these issues. Amen. So we ask God today to search us. Don't just assume that you're good, you've forgiven everything. What are some of the things that you've buried deep down inside of you? This is the time to bring them to the surface and to lay them before God and before the cross And like was said earlier, maybe your emotions haven't quite caught up where where they need to be to do this, but at least you can make a decision of the will. Say, God, it still kind of gets me when I think about it, but I hear right here and now, I want to tell you I forgive that person for what they did to me. I forgive. If it seems likely that a person's condition is related to an offense caused by another It's good to pray the prayer out loud. So you hear yourself praying it. Something like this. In the name of Jesus, I forgive the driver of that car that crashed into mine. In the name of Jesus, I forgive the doctor that misdiagnosed me. In the name of Jesus, I forgive my boss for putting so much pressure on me. 
In the name of Jesus, I forgive my mother for criticizing me for all those years. Whatever it is that you're holding, now is the time to release it, to ask forgiveness, to make a decision of the will that you forgive that person for whatever they did to you. And you know, there are some very deep things. There are are Christians whose family members have been murdered by somebody, especially in other parts of the world, kidnapped by somebody, sold as a slave by somebody. There are some very heavy things that some of us are carrying around. We don't need to know with certainty whether the other person is guilty before God or not. That's God's affair. To forgive is to set ourselves free and to allow God's grace and healing to overflow us. And that's what we need to do. We need to be in a grace relationship with God. Not just incoming grace, but then outgoing grace to all those around us. That's the kind of people we've been called to be. One last scripture, I won't even turn there, I'll refer to it. Colossians 3, verse 13. Colossians 3, 13. Bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Okay, we'll have the uh, two ushers go back and uh, take the bread.